This is Pastor Matthew Castro at Central Church. I'm the adult ministries pastor, and you are listening to Attributes of God with Dr. Jim Ullman. I ha- we have eternal life now. We are, in effect, resurrected beings now. We're just waiting for our bodies to catch up with God's presence. Am I making any sense to you at all? Yes. Bill says no. <laughs> this is what it means to trust God, folks. You trust God about realities you cannot see. So faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I live in light, if I live by faith, I live in light of the statements of God taking them to be more true than the things that my senses can experience. And I trust the statements of God in spite of what my eyes can see and my body can feel. Am I making sense now at all? That's what it means to live by faith, brothers and sisters. How can you live by faith unless you know your God? Because you have no hope except in God. The only hope I have is in God. Once again, when we talked about faith, hope was the fourth element of faith. Hope is confidence about the future. Uh, the way our country seems to be going, uh, if, if you and I live long enough, we may well find ourselves cut off from most government services, electricity, water exactly. because we will if, if, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ your social credit index will be so small that you won't be able to get government services then we wonder well how, how will we survive and the answer is I have a God who has promised to provide for his people. Now, what does that provision for his people look like? Turn to Hebrews 11 just a minute. And Hebrews 11 is toward the end of the chapter. I have a pastor friend who's with the Lord now. He's been incredibly important to my family for how long? 60 years. Um, His ministry just made it possible for my mother and me to get through life for about uh, 10 years. Uh, But uh, in Hebrews 11, I want to start at verse 35. He said, if I ever wrote a book, I would write it on Hebrews 11, 35, 36, 37, 38. And he, would, he said, I would title it, But Others. And here's where it comes from. I'm reading from the ESV. It reads a little differently, but I'll put But, but Others where it comes. Verse 35, women received their, their dead back by resur- resurrection. Glory, yes? Wouldn't you love to see one? But most people who die don't rise from the dead yet. So I have But Others in the middle of verse 35. We're tortured, refusing to accept release. In the midst of the torture, 
Was God providing for them? Yes. Yes. In what way? Strength to go on. Strength to go on. Strength to bear whatever the torturers want to give. Others were tortured, not accept the refusing to accept the release, so that they might rise to again to a better life. They have a hope that is better than surviving on the earth. Yes? But there are places in this world that God seems to be so absent. Mother had a reel-to-reel tape of a man who had been in China. He was a missionary who had been captured by the Chinese communists in the 1940s or late early 50s. And they, they uh, tortured him uh, for uh, days on end. Uh, and he, he did the best he could to bear it. Uh, it t- toward the end of the story, as I, he, he was released and came back to the U.S. apparently and was able to tell the story, the, te- the tape was one of him telling his story. At, the, uh, at one point, the jailer said to him, if your God's real, then have him do a miracle right now. And he said there was a circular space on the floor where he, they had cleaned it up and he, he would get down on his knees uh, and he got down on his knees and he said, uh, was kind of, he pulled a pole on them. <laughs> uh, Lord, I know you're real, but this man does not. Would you do something to prove to him that you are real, even if you have to strike him blind? And the man was stricken blind immediately. Uh, folks, this man didn't know what God was going to do. Yes? But he knew his God. And he knew how his God functions. So, going on in, 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 in uh, verse 36, others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword, they went about in the skins of sheep and goats destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Are you with me? They're they're living in light of unseen realities, and that's how God's people live. And I'm telling you this as one who needs to, needs to learn this, not as one who has learned it, okay? So please don't think that I've got this down. I don't. I can stand anything but temptation and, and, uh, and pain. Other than that, other than temptation and pain, I can stand anything. <laughs> donuts, I can stand donuts. There, I'm real good at that. But my, my, my point is to say, folks, the children of God worldwide are facing this, this moment, these days in which we live. Are we to be the only segment of the body of Christ in world history never to face persecution? Or 
if there is persecution that's so mild that it's hardly even worthy of the title. Um, but if we must pers face persecution, how are we going to survive it? Because I have a God who is omnipresent. In that prison where that man was held, I'm sure it seemed that God was completely absent. Yes? Does that make sense? But God was not absent. Uh, say again? Who said that? I heard something and it sounded good. He's always present. He's always present. There is no place I can be that God is not. So um, his presence refers to the effects of his power and will not to being contained within space and time. And this is critically important. You've got to know that however bad things get, however apparently self-contradictory things get, God is never self-contradictory. His, his person is always present with you. Or perhaps better to say, you are always present to him. That's just for believers, right? Yeah, that's for believers. But it's also true for unbelievers. They just don't have any way to, to trust that. Um, Jim? Yes? Will God be in hell? I, it, God is omnipresent, so there is no place that, that humans can be that God is not present. But what's, what's going on in hell is that God has withdrawn all his benevolent treatment of people. And again, I don't know what that means. I, I, I'm just saying what I'm, I think Scripture says. Um, strong Baptist theologian from the 19th century said, God in the totality of his essence, without diffusion or expansion, without multiplication or division, penetrates and fills the universe in all its parts. So he is not stretched out to <laughs> fill up the universe. The universe is simply a dot in his being, <laughs> and he fills it with the fullness of his being. And he's not multiplying himself around the earth, and he's not dividing parts of his attention around the, the universe. He's simply there. God is very often represented as ascending and descending, though, <laughs> approaching and departing, but this does not at all disprove his omnipresence. God approaches and descends when he gives testimonies of his presence. Uh, is God present here tonight? Yes. I have no direct testimony of his presence. Physical, visible, perceptible by the senses, awareness of his presence. I am making that statement by faith because I can't see it. Yes. But faith is the, uh, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of, the, of things not seen. By the way, that statement, substance, that word substance is fundamental. Faith is not something that you have concocted. Faith is actually a gift from God to you, so it has substance. It is substantial. It is real. 
People will ridicule us from faith. C.S. Lewis made a comment a number of years ago about faith. Um, it's, in a, uh, it's in one of the essays in a book called, mm, now I can't recall the name of the book. Um, maybe I'll remember it later. Uh, but his, his comment was, faith, and I, I can't say it as well as he did, so you'll please forgive the, the maltreatment of, of C.S. Lewis's words, but uh, faith can survive anything but ridicule. When we're ridiculed, when what we are putting our faith in looks unreasonable, we easily walk away from faith. This is where the substance of faith has to be part of our experience, our concept, our understanding. Folks, we cling to realities that we cannot see. And we, we treat God's def definition of reality as the right one, and no other definition can um, contest it. Okay? Are you with me here? So, we sang a song when I was a boy. This is my father's world. I, I, I never did like it very much. It seemed a little bit trite musically, but um, this is my father's world. Okay? And every human being on the face of the earth draws breath because God keeps their lungs functioning. God sustains everything on this earth. He is omnipresent. In all of his workings, he's omnipresent. And if that's the case, then uh, he approaches or descends when he gives testimonies of his presence. He departs and ascends when he withdraws or withholds from men the symbols or signs of his gracious presence. So when Jesus ascended, the person that Jesus is did not leave the earth. The body of Jesus left the earth. Yes? But Jesus is still here. The person who Jesus is is still here. Why? Because he is one with the Father. Yes? And if he is one with the Father, then he is still here. Um, when he told his disciples that when he ascended, he would send the helper. Yes. Is that over? No, I don't think so. Uh, but, but it is relevant. Um, the Holy Spirit, the helper there, probably the point of this helper concept is... Um, the, Hebrew, the, the Greek word was used in, in legal literature to describe the uh, witnesses who would come and corroborate the testimony of the, of the people before the court. Yes, sir. With what Bill is saying, uh, Stephen, at his death, yeah. looks to heaven That's right. and sees Jesus standing. That's right. At the right. So the body of Jesus is in heaven, but the person of Jesus is here. Uh, John 17, uh, he is in us as we are in him. This is called interpenetration. Okay? His whole being penetrates my whole being, and my whole being penetrates his being. Does this make sense to you? I don't understand it. 
Can't even imagine precisely what that means. But when Jesus, when Jesus says in that same passage, the upper room discourse, um, uh, one, of the, one of the disciples said, uh, show us the Father and it, was, it is enough for us. What was his answer? Do you recall? Have I been with you so long and still you do not know me? He who has seen the Father has seen me, has seen the Father. Uh, so uh, this, this is our God. He is omnipresent. And I may trade. See, he is omnipresent in all of his attributes. So going back to the the um, uh, Westminster Catechism question, what is God? The answer is God is spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. All of his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth is here right now and is also in Russia right now and right now is in Ukraine, sustaining our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. Yes, all of it is there. He is not a little bit of him over here and a little bit of him over there. Yes, sir. I'm having such difficulty with this. Okay. As in, in Revelation, uh, <clears throat> the Lamb of God is, you know, as John sees in the vision, yeah. is the one that is only capable of unfolding, you know, yeah, struggle. That's right. And so, and so, I, I can, you know, I've just, I've just always been on this talk or in school and thinking that, the, you know, Jesus departed the earth. He's obviously on the present. Yes. But, but through the Spirit. Yeah. So, that, that's where I'm Yes. But that's, you're saying the same thing that we said in John 17. Um, uh, if, if I and the Father are one, then I, the Father, and the Spirit are one. Yes? So where the Spirit is, the Father and the, and the, and the Son are. All right? So uh, is Jesus a human? Yeah. Yes. Humans are in space definitively. Yes? Yeah. In fact, circumscriptively, as we said a few minutes ago. The human revelation of Jesus is in heaven right now, at the right hand of God. But the, is he also God? Did he give up any of his deity when he became a man? No. But he veiled his deity so as not to kill everybody, <laughs> number one. And number two, so as to be able to live a genuine human life so that he will genuinely be the representative of people who live genuine human lives. And he died on a cross. His human, the, the son did not die on the cross. The body of Jesus died on the cross. But the son was still alive. Um, when, uh, when a loved one passes, what do we say? They're with the Lord now. 
The body's still here, but they're with the Lord now, yes? Right? When Jesus died, his human spirit went, I, I don't even know what I'm saying, but do humans have spirits? All right? Then he has a human spirit, in some sense, went to be with the Father. Can you explain the prayer relationship between Jesus and the Father while he was on the earth? Yeah, I'd probably not, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, can, can I explain the prayer relationship between Jesus and the Father while he was on the earth? Jesus was apparently, based on what I read in the Gospel of John, and I can't point you to a specific passage right now. I'd, these things are slipping from my memory, but uh, uh, he is always communing with the Father. Every, everything he says, he, in John he says, I never say anything except what the Father says. Even so he's, though he is the Father. Well, he's not the Father. He's God, but he's not the Father. Right? Yeah. Chago? In that verse that you talked about earlier in John 14, it says furthermore that I am in the Father as the Father is in the Yes, yeah. In 17, he makes the same statement. Yes, sir. <laughs> Sorry. It's all right. I know that, but beyond, yeah, we, we, were, we were not looking for a character reference on this. <laughs> well, I've got two years. <laughs> well, <laughs> and I started with the next one. <laughs> Go ahead, brother. Uh, anyway, so. Um, but, but Jesus on the cross, and, and I guess to what you're saying, Jesus on the cross tells the thieves, today you will be with me in paradise. Mm -hmm. So even though Jesus' body, and, and I'm not going to get into the whole taking the captives. Captive. Yeah, well, that's another whole discussion I I don't want to get into either. Yeah, yeah. But he does tell the thief that yeah, he's going to right. die. Exactly. Yeah. You know, later on. That's right. <sighs> We're dealing with realities that are on the edge of our ability to comprehend. Uh, the, 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 uh, in fact, the word comprehensible is pretty important here. I can understand these things, but I can't comprehend them. Let me explain what I mean by that. I have keys here in my hand, and my hand comprehends the keys. The, the, the word comprehend in, in Latin means something, I've forgotten exactly what it means, but it means something like uh, wrap your brain around it so you can, you, can uh, you, 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 you know the whole idea, right? The building, I understand the building, but my hand cannot comprehend it. I can touch it truly, and I can tell you true things about the building, but my, my hand cannot comprehend the building. And that's where we are with God. We're, we're beyond, he is beyond our comprehension. I will understand truth about him, but there will always be truth about him beyond what I can understand. So if you're getting overwhelmed by these ideas, good. That's the first step to true worship. First <laughs> uh, Kings eight twenty seven. Um, but will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold heaven, and this is Solomon praying at the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem after he's built it. Yes. So. 
Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built? And yet God calls the temple variously his, um, uh, his house and his footstool. <laughs> and God dwells in the temple, but he is not comprehended by the temple. Do you follow this? Uh, the glory of God in the temple was so great when Solomon dedicated the house. you remember this? The, 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 the glory of God descended on the temple, and it was so great that the priests couldn't even go in and, and do their ministry. Same thing happened with the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40. The, the point, folks, is we're dealing with one whom we never really will understand. We will know truth about him, but we never really will understand him. And that's how he wants it. And that's how he wants it. That's the only way it can be. I'm a created being. I was, I was created sometime in 1947. <laughs> I was born in 48. Okay, are you with me? Yes? Uh, before that, I was not. I am now, and God intends to sustain all human life everlastingly, apparently. Yes? Um, so he sustains us. His life cannot be uh, ended. So any life he gives cannot be terminated, precisely. Um, the, the eternality of hell is almost in, impossible to even think about very long. It makes sense to me since I'm finite. I can't understand it in That's right. So we're, uh, uh, finite means that we have boundaries. I have a boundary to everything that I am. God has no boundaries. Uh, Acts 17, 27, and 28 Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Uh, Matthew 28, 20, we talked about this last week. And, and King James, and lo, I am with you always, so not in airplanes. <laughs> only lo, am I? And behold... In, in fact, the word behold in, in the New Testament is usually placed at points where people should be surprised. Either the characters in the story should be surprised about what's coming or the reader should be surprised. We've read these things so many times that they, we've lost all the surprise element of these stories. But when he says behold, he's saying here's the surprising fact. Here is the stunning fact. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Are you with me here? So wherever you are, whatever period of world history you're living in, whatever is going on in your life, Jesus is with you. Um, since he says to the end of the age, then this is not limited to the apostles because the apostles didn't live to the end of the age. 
It's, it's true and valid for every one of God's children now. So God is always with you. When we pray, be with us today. We're, what we're asking for is not for God to somehow move from there to here. What we're asking for is to God, for God to be active in what we're doing. Does this make sense to you? To be pleased with it, to guide it. A am I making sense? Right? So, so we need to understand what we're praying for. God is with us. That means we always live under the blessing of God. We never live outside the blessing of God. Got to understand this. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, it's verse 3 or so. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. You have every spiritual blessing. You don't need to pray for blessing. Is this believers and unbelievers? No, this, this is believers. No, it's for us. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, so, I mean, in the apostolic age, we see people who will be healed. Yes, the that's right. Is this scripture saying that those it's saying that when, when God thinks it's necessary, he will do those things. But it's not when I think it's necessary. <laughs> I can think of a lot of things that I would have had God do. <laughs> Granddad Doyle died when I was 10. That was way too early. I needed him another 10, 15, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. He didn't want to live that long. <laughs> he was born in 1907. So, <laughs> but but the, uh, the reality is all of these things, including the things that happen in the book of Acts, are the will of God. They're the plan of God for that time to give testimony to the world. Folks, I got testimony now. Uh, if you do not believe the law and the prophets... Neither will you believe if one rises from the dead. Jesus says. Are you with me? My, my point, folks, is we, we are utterly dependent upon God, but he is utterly dependable. So, Matthew 28, Psalm 139. Let's turn there because I want to spend a little, a few minutes with Psalm 139. The goal I have for, and, and folks, we're going to go through till December with the attributes and wherever we are in the attributes, we'll stop and take up something else in the spring, uh, unless you're just dying to get the rest of the attributes. But, but uh, I, you've had enough, those of you who have, who have been with me through these studies have had enough of these never-ending studies that I don't want to continue that constantly. But some, one of my purposes in this is not only to show you the meanings of these concepts, but to show you how they function in Scripture. Psalm 139 is one of our favorite psalms. Um, uh, oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. Um, it's a... It's a... Uh, uh, we... we on the screen, I, I say this is a lament psalm. 
One of the reasons I know it's a lament psalm is lament psalms in the Old Testament tend to begin either O Lord or O God. Uh, lament psalm is written in trouble, and in the midst of the trouble, the psalmist is crying out to God, uh, asking for help. Sometimes God gives help in the middle of the psalm, as in Psalm 22. Um, sometimes at the end of the psalm, God hasn't shown up at all. Are you with me? But the psalms that are lament psalms, there are about 70 of them. I've forgotten the exact number, but it's around 71, 72 of the psalm. That's nearly half of the book of psalms is lament psalms. This is, folks, this is divinely inspired prayer. This is how you talk to God as a child of God when you're in trouble. <laughs> okay. Are you with me? Uh, I'm going to turn to Psalm 22 just a moment here and, and come back to Psalm 139. But in Psalm 22, I want you to see how David talks to God. Divinely inspired prayer. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? What we would say to him is, now, now there, Brother David, the Lord has not abandoned you. Amen. Wouldn't we say that to him? But that's not David's experience. Read on. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you, 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 have, I'm sorry, you do not answer. And by night, and I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you are fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and, and were rescued. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind, despised by the people. Um, look down at verse uh, 10. On you I was cast from my mother's birth. I'm sorry, from my birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. In the womb was David seeking God? No, he can't. It's not even an option. So what was happening in the womb? God was seeking David. The point, folks, is he throws God's own actions back in God's face. Here's what you used to do for our fathers. Here's what you did for me. I didn't come seeking you. You came seeking me. Why are you treating me this way? That, this is divinely inspired prayer in the middle of trouble. Am I making any sense to you? This, this stuff has to come alive for us, folks. So Psalm 139 is a lament psalm. And I know that for, first because of O Lord at the beginning, but, but look at, um, um, look at the ending of the psalm. There are four segments to the psalm there. there it's uh, four six-verse passages the, each six-verse passage is divided four and two. So you read four verses and read two, and you get the point. You read four more and read two, you get the point, and so on. 
when you get to the end, verse 19, oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God, oh men of blood, depart from me. All lament psalms have petitions. The reason you write a lament psalm is that you're, you're asking God to do something and trying to motivate him to do it. So here's the petition. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not hate, uh, do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. But that's, those, that's the four verses of this strophe. Look at the last two. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I hate those who hate you, but what if there's something in me of hatred of God? And the first 18 verses are explaining why this is so troubling to him. This is not a praise psalm. So, so look at now uh, verses uh, um, one, to, uh, 1 to 6. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in. Is hem in, is hemming someone in a good thing or a bad thing? Should be a good thing because it's a <laughs> But it's a bad thing when you're hemmed in. Unless you're being protected. Well, does he feel protected? But it sounds like you've been concerned. I know, but read the beginning with the end. See, generally speaking, when a piece has a beginning and an end, it has a middle. <sighs> I, yeah, he's out of options. And he, no, there's no hope here. It's scary to him, and I'll show you that. Um, verse 6, uh, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Uh, the, the ESV reads wonderful, and that's, that's valid. That's a valid translation. Striking. Such knowledge is striking for me. It's high. And they, the ESV reads, I cannot attain it. I can't overcome it. In Hebrew, what are you trying to overcome? Generally speaking, if you say, I've got to overcome this, what is it? Um, donuts? Pardon? A problem. a problem, some kind of trouble. There's something in his life that's frightening, and he doesn't know what it is, but he feels hemmed in, yes? In Hebrew, when you are safe, you're in a broad place. When you're in trouble, you're in a narrow place. <laughs> the, the, one of the most common words for trouble in Hebrew is tsar, T-S-A-R, tsar. Um, it also means narrow. So when you're in trouble, you're hemmed in. Verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I? What's the next word? 
what, what kind of action is fleeing? Right. Running away, trying to escape. He's, he doesn't feel safe in this situation. Am I making sense to you? We, oh, this is a great praise song, Lord, except for, the last, except for the last verses. And generally speaking, if you have a piece of literature, it has a beginning and an end, and the middle probably, uh, a middle probably as well, and the probability is that the middle is connecting the, the beginning to the end. Yes, sir? It almost seems like this is one Yeah. He's struggling. Yeah. He, he's doubting himself. He's not doubting God. He's doubting himself. Before God. In the, in the eyes of God, can he really approve a person like me? So... If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the, of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, do you understand what that means? What does it mean to take the wings of the morning? <laughs> it means to go from the east to the west as fast as the light does at the morning. If I could fly that fast from the east to the west... Um, um, even, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. Um, if I say, surely the darkness will, what? Hide me. Why do you want to hide? So you won't be under scrutiny. Surely the darkness will hide me. And the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, and for, dark, for darkness is as light to you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. God knows every stitch in David's makeup. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. By the way, the depths of the earth here probably is a reference to the mother's womb. Uh, I, I know that doesn't sound like a very complimentary thing, but uh, your eyes uh, saw my unformed su substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. You know everything about me. Then we come to uh, verses 17 to 20. Or what is it? We got the last two verses, how precious to me. Are precious, and that's, that's a word that's fallen on hard times because of the, uh, the church lady. <laughs> Was that Saturday Night Live? I don't know. I never watched the show, but... And that precious, <laughs> rare, how, how valuable are your thoughts toward me, O God? How vast is the sum of them? If I, could, if I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. What if, as much as I hate those who lo loathe God, what if in me there's something hidden that I'm not aware of? God cannot be unaware of it. What if there is something in me that's just like them? Do you follow? The, the, the omnipresence of God is both overwhelmingly comforting 
and overwhelmingly challenging. Uh, God knows me better than I know myself. And that's an encouragement to me because what I've learned of myself in the last 50, 60, 70 years um, often isn't very pretty. But God knew it all along. So Psalm 139, the omnipresence of God. Uh, this, is, this is strong stuff, is it? Right? But folks, this is the God that you live with. This is the God who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And if he, and, and, and if so, and I've, I've, I've thought in recent weeks, gee, you know, if God would just quit saving sinners, churches would be a whole lot better places to be. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, they ain't nobody else. <laughs> so, so the only folks who are sitting in this room are people just like David, who, who someplace deep in our being, hidden even from ourselves, there is a loathsome reality that God knows. And if I hate sinners, and I want them to be destroyed, as, as David says at the end of Psalm 139, maybe, maybe I should be destroyed along with them. Uh, thanks be to God through the work of Jesus Christ. We are relieved. Uh, so, any questions about omnipresence? Um, simplicity. Now, that doesn't sound like a word you would ever apply to God. But simplicity is another one of the incommunicable attributes. Um, there are some basic meanings in English for the word simplicity. Uh, and this is actually taken right out of a theology book by Charles Ryrie. Um, the attribute of simplicity means that God is not a composite or compounded being. I am I'm made up of parts. You can cut my leg off and I will still be around. Yes? Uh, most of the time. Well, under, under certain circumstances, I wouldn't. But you could cut my leg off and I would still survive. Um, but I am more present in my, at least in, in the way you and I think about it, I am more present in my head than I am in any other part of my body. Yes? Um, so cut my head off and I'm pretty much gone. <laughs> but cut my leg off and I'm not gone. Uh, I, I like my leg in some ways. I dislike it in others. But I like my leg, and I want to hold on to it as long as I possibly can. And I want to be omnipresent in my body. But my consciousness, I, I don't think about what's going on right now. I'm thinking about my feet. And so I'm, I'm feeling things going on in my feet as I say this. But, but my consciousness is not constantly aware of everything that's going on in my body. Yes? Are, are you with me here? Uh, God is not like us. We're made up of bits and pieces, hither and yon, uh, and put together in a, in, a, in a rather remarkable way, so it all works. Um, but God is not like that at all. He's not composite or compound. He's not made up of parts. You got 70% of God over here, and 24% of God over there, and 6% of God over here. Um, this has to do with his essence, the, the, the real 
the real center of all that God is. So that in no, it in no way contradicts the revelation of the Trinity. Uh, did we look at that chart last week of, of the, uh, the Trinity and the Incarnation? I don't remember where I did that. You did that in John. I did that in John. Uh, it's not in this hand, uh, in this PowerPoint yet. I'll get it there eventually. We'll have to talk about this. How many of the attributes to, of God does the Father have? All of them? How many of the attributes of God does Jesus have? The Son? All of them. How many attributes of God does the Spirit of God have? All of them. So they all, see, see I'm one substance. They are also one substance. That's hard for us to understand. But they possess the whole of that substance, each one of them, and yet they are distinct so that the Father sends the Son and the Father and Son send the Spirit. Am I making sense? Yes? Uh, so they are distinct. So, so uh, in some sense, the Father can speak to the Son and the Son can speak to the Father. Um, this oive, this uh, attribute also reminds us that when we consider God as triune being, he is not divisible or composed of parts or multiple substances. There aren't three gods that we worship. There is one God who reveals himself and exists as Father, Son, and Spirit, to simplify the matter. Scripturally, John 4.24, God is Spirit. Well, generally speaking, spirits don't have parts. Yes? Are you with me? Right? Uh, matter has, part, has parts, but spirit doesn't have parts. In the incarnation, of course, our Lord became flesh, but the deity of the God-man was always an only spirit. Third, ramifications of this, the simplicity of God underscores his self-existence, for there was no prior cause to form a composite being, assures us that God will never be anything other than spirit and enables us to worship in spirit, and that is not in material ways. We are able to worship because God has given us a, lot, a living spirit. And now we can engage, in, engage with him legitimately in spirit. Um, so simplicity, that's an odd category, but we must not think of God, I've got six pounds of God here and three quarts of God over there. Yes, I, 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 God is, simply. Remember his name. What is his name? I am. When he says his name, it is I am. When I say his name, he is. He is what? Why didn't he say, I am something? Because whatever he would have said would limit himself too much. He cannot say what he is in ways that humans can really understand. So the most definitive thing he can say about himself is, I am. I am what I am. And everything he says, everything he does, spells out what I am means. So simplicity. God's infinity now. now. And simplicity is entailed that no parts, 
Um, God's infinity entails the simplicity, so I, I have to have this. God is unlimited, that is, he is illimitable. God is free of all limits. Indeed, he is immense. Now, that word immense is a word that we use for, and I looked it up in Collins English Dictionary today, and, and it said very, very vast, massive. Uh, but, the, but, but these words often are taken right out of Latin or Greek, and in Latin, this means unmeasurable. He's not subject to any measurement. Um, Ten yards of God here, three miles of God over there. Yeah, right. So I don't have, I, I, there's no way of measuring him. He is sub, subject to no measurement. Uh, God is free of all limits. Indeed, he is, uh, oh dear, that, that is not subject to any, yeah, ism here, the, the M got in inadvertently there. So that, uh, that is not subject to any measurement. He is infinite. He is unlimited in space, in time, knowledge, ability, authority, etc., etc., and we could go on. Um, this is entailed in the, in the notion that he's omnipresent in space. So he's infinite in space. Um, it's his omnipresence, his eternity, his omniscience his omnipotence, his authority, his sovereignty, and we could go on with other aspects of his being in reference to the infinity of God. So what? Well, 1 Kings 8.27, even the heavens and the highest heavens cannot contain you, how much, how much less this house that I have built. We must never bring God down to our scale. We must always realize that our best thoughts about God are short of the reality, infinitely short of the reality. Um, Isaiah 66, 1, I don't recall. Let's turn there. Isaiah 66, 1. <laughs> it's on page 1048, if that helps. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you, should, that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What kind of being is that? Uh, Isaiah 40 verses, oh gosh, oh my. <laughs> Isaiah 40 verses 12 to 31. Oh my, 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 my. Uh, I have been attracted to this, this passage for decades, but it's only been in recent decades that I've come to really grip, to, 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 to grip, grasp what it's saying. Uh, Isaiah 40 begins the last major section of the book of Isaiah. There are two major sections with, with a hinge passage in between. So 1 to 35 is the major, first major passage, 36 to 39 is the second one, 
that's the hinge passage. Uh, and then in 40 to 66, you have the other major passage. And here, all the judgment that he has pronounced on Israel is going to be reversed. Um, so you start that, and, and people, some have called this the, the books of comfort. So notice in 40 verse 1, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. But now, verse 9, go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense is before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked out the heavens with a span and closed the dust in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and, and hills in a balance? Um, if you're going to measure this, the table you're sitting at, what unit of measurement would you use? Feet, possibly inches. Um, if you were going to carpet this room, how would you measure the room? In yard, wait, could you use inches? Yeah, you could. It's not very helpful, but uh, square yards or square feet. Yes. If you measure the dis distance from here to your home, will you still use miles. oh miles now? Huh? Say again. Yeah. Uh, what inches? <laughs> um, if you're going to measure the distance from here to Alpha Centauri, what light years now? Uh, why do we use different measures for different distances? Yeah, it, they are comprehensible within. I mean, you could measure this room in square inches. Yes. Yeah, it's the scale. It's 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 the the smallest unit unit of measurement that's reasonable for the thing that you're measuring. Yes. So if I measure the size of this book, I'm going to use inches. Yes. Um, I could do it in terms of meters or centimeters. Yes. What'd you say? Pages. Pages. <laughs> I'm talking about the size, not the length. So uh, the. For, for God, measuring the, look there again at verse uh, uh, 12. God measures the oceans with the hollow of his hand. How much water can you hold in the hollow of your hand? Not much. Yes? That's the, that's the smallest reasonable Measurement. I mean, this is speaking poetically, and it, 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 God ain't got no hands. Okay, but but in that sense, we can we understand the analogy here. The, the oceans, he measures with the hollow of his hand. He marks the heavens off with the span of his hand. We use light years. Yes. What kind of being is this God? He's infinite. He's infinite. Uh, verse 13, 
Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him counsel? <laughs> Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Who? What's the answer? No one. No one. <laughs> Can you imagine? And yet, often enough, our prayers are giving God counsel. This is what we need to do, Lord. <laughs> Is this a proof of divine inspiration yeah. for whoever the is this David was drafted this because these are concepts which are true to us today. Yes, They're, they they remain true to us today. Verse uh, fifteen. Behold, the nations of the earth are like a drop from a bucket. I uh, went to a scout camp when I was in the eighth grade uh, in western Arkansas on the, uh, now I can't remember the river. Huh. Buffalo? But, no, it wasn't the Buffalo. It was farther west and on the, uh, kind of west central. Um, Arkansas? But, yeah, in Arkansas. But the, the, I can't remember now. But uh, we, had to, we, had to, we had jerry cans and we had to carry them up from the campsite up to the place where you draw where you could get water, fill the five gallon or what was it five gallon or ten gallon for a jerry can? I can't remember. Uh, and you fill it and then carry it back down to the campsite so you have water for your camp and so on. Uh, uh, suppose I was trying to to bring water to the camp by handful by handful. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't get a merit badge for that. The, the, the issue is that, that um, uh, when you empty the jerry can, when you empty a bucket from a well, do you make sure to get the last drop out of it? Not unless you're in the desert. Not unless you're in the desert or in, in, a, in, a, in a, uh, a drought, yes. But normally speaking, we don't worry about the last drop in the bucket. The nations are counted like a drop in a bucket. A washtower. <laughs> well, no, that wasn't it either. I, I'll, I'll think of it 10 o'clock tonight, and it'll be too late. <laughs> they are counted like dust on the scales. When I get up in the morning, I weigh to see how bad I did yesterday. <laughs> but I never dust the scales off. Why not? It's irrelevant to the activity. The nations of the earth are counted as the dust of the scales. America is the dust on the scales of God. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Coastlands are the far distant shorelines that Israel never even dreamed of going to, but they've heard of. Uh, he, can, he takes the coastlands up like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel. Lebanon is, is the place where the uh, cedars of Lebanon grew. They were, they were profuse. They were all over the country. They knew no greater forest than the, than the forest of Lebanon. But, but all the trees in Lebanon would not suffice for, for fuel, nor all its beasts be enough for a burnt offering. 
All the nations are nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing, an emptiness. That includes America. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman crafts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impervished for such an offering chooses wood that will not rot. Because, you know, you don't want your God rotting while you're praying to it. Amen? That's funny now, folks, and you only Jan laughed, and you heard some of you heard her laugh, and you didn't laugh. I don't know whether you're going to pass this course or not. It's a good thing I'm not giving grades. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings princes to nothing and makes rulers of the earth as emptiness. So if persecution breaks out, is this still true? Then what does this mean for us if persecution breaks out? I have to trust the reality God has defined, not the reality that the world is defining. Um, verse 24, scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stuff. To whom then will you compare me in that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Uh, one of my professors uh, said, uh, now we're naming stars after each other. He said, it makes me think of dogs marking their territory. <laughs> I, I thought that was so graphic. I just had to... You know, you think about it. God calls all the stars by name. Well, I, I run out of names for stars pretty quick, yes? Uh, Brighty and, and, and uh, shiny and what's next? You know? But God's got all the stars named. Um, thus, he comes to the point in verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my, my right is disregarded by my God? Your text, does it have my right is hidden? Is that what you have? Say again. My way. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Uh, well, the second, not, not my, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right cause. That's a better, that's a better translation. My cause. What is what, folks? God has a category in His being called justice, and one of the Hebrew words for justice is mishpat. M i s h p a t. Mishpat. And mishpat 
has a lot of different senses, but one of the senses is what is due to anyone based on their relationship with God. So there is a mishpat for the priests. Every sacrifice that you make, uh, you must give part of the sacrifice to the priest for food, except the burnt offering. But even then, you're bringing a grain offering and a, and a drink offering, and part of the grain offering is burned on the altar. Part of the, the drink offering is poured out at the altar, but the rest goes to the priest. Does this make sense to you? This is the mishpat. This is what is due the priest because of his relationship with God. So Israel has a relationship with God. Israel didn't go looking for God and find him. God went looking for Israel and found them. Yes, in fact, created them, as Isaiah will say later. Um, so if that's the case, there is something right for Israel that God, by bringing them into relationship, must carry out. That sounds almost heretical, doesn't it? Does, does, do, do humans have rights before God that he must carry out? And the answer is, yes, if it relates to the promises he's made, that, that, that is the case. So one of the promises that Isaiah 40 to 66 is going to, is going to revisit is the promise that Israel will be restored to the land of Canaan. Because he promised that to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Yes? And if he promised it, that is their mishpat. That is what is due to them. They may Some generations may forfeit that, but it has not been forfeited forever, for God promised it to them forever. Does this make sense? So, my right, let's see, um, where, where do we leave off? Verse 27, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you ever heard a Holocaust survivor talking about how they feel about God? God abandoned us. God wasn't there. Uh, Elie Wiesel, I'm told, I'm, I've intended to read um, his book, especially Night. I probably need to read the others as well, but I've intended for years to do it, but I've had other things I needed to do, and I haven't done it. But uh, I've heard that Elie Wiesel said, um, my God died in the camps. Because all the promises seem to be failing. God wasn't doing what he said he would do. Folks, in the camps, can your God die? Your faith can die. Yeah, your God can't die, but your faith can die. But if your faith can die, it wasn't faith anyway. My point, folks, is this. You've got to have an understanding of the character of God and the plan of God that will survive the death camps if necessary. Verse 28, God gives his answer. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint 
And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men will, will fall exhausted. But they who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Here's the point, folks. Um, the, the God that we have has to be big enough for severe challenges to our faith. And our faith must be formed on the basis of who God says he is and how he acts. This is why we study the stories of the Old Testament, not to get an application. I'm so sick of that. I'm, I'm weary of it. I don't want to hear any more of it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but it just bugs me to death because, folks, what we're, we're, what we're doing is we're being Americans. We got, you just tell me what to do and I'll go do it, Pastor. Don't need to take 30 minutes to say that. You just, just tell me what to do and I'll go do it. My, past, my uncle, my great uncle, said one day, if a preacher can't say all he needs to say in 15 minutes, he, sh he shouldn't be preaching. Well, he, he had never heard anybody who had anything to say. That was the problem with him. Uh, when he heard somebody who had something to say, he was astonished uh, at the difference. But the point for us folks is not that you go to the stories to find out what to do you go to the stories to find out what your God is like and how he treats people who trust him. Sometimes he delivers them from the, the, the paw of the bear and the, and the, and the uh, paw of the lion. Sometimes he hands them over to death. But he's still the same God. Sometimes, and here's the hard part, if death was quick, I wouldn't have any problems with it. It's not, de it's, it's, it's not death that I fear, it's dying that I fear. <laughs> uh, um, if, if your God is not big enough for bad times, then you have the wrong God. Because all through the Old Testament, all through the New, we have people who are facing bad times. Some of them, their faith failed. Yes? Some of them, their faith wavered. Some of them were quite triumphant in their faith. Some of them saw miracles. Some of them saw, saw none. Yes? So what can I expect of God? That he will give me the grace to survive, to to maintain my faith in the midst of any kind of difficulty. I may puzzle about him, and, I, and, and based on Psalm 22, he welcomes me to come to him and lay out all my anger on his shoulders because he's got huge shoulders, and he can carry it. And he understands how he made us. He knows how weak we are. Our, our text, our, our, the Bible says he remembers our frame. Psalm 103, is it Psalm 103? He remembers our frame. He, he remembers that we are dust. He knows you can't expect a lot out of dust. But we can expect, dust can expect a lot out of him. Would, would you say that 
One more time. If God is not good enough for your bad times. Then he's not a God that you need. I don't know how I said it, but the God, the God who is not who's not good enough for bad times is no God at all. And you've got to get rid of that God and find out who this person really is. Uh, we have 20 minutes left till the class ends, so let's go on to God's eternity. We'll look at Psalm 90 when we get there. Uh, we've already talked about immensely. Eternality is that perfection of God by which he possesses the whole of his existence in one indivisible present. If God is omnipresent in time, then all time is present to God. <laughs> then the whole of his existence, he is, not, he is not who is be, one who is becoming. He is, I am. Deuteronomy 33, 27. Let's look there. Deuteronomy 33, 27. Uh, J.B. Phillips wrote a book years ago, back in the 50s. Do you remember it at all? Your God is too small. And he was writing about the God who is a policeman and the God who is a grandfather and the God who is... <laughs> but, folks, we've got a God. Uh, Voltaire, I think we've quoted this already, is supposed to have said, God made man in his own image and man has returned the favor. We've got to quit recreating God in our own image. We've got to learn to know a God who actually exists and not one that we would like to exist. So in Deuteronomy 33, 27, the eternal God is your dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. Um, and, he thrust out, and he thrust out the enemy before you and said, destroy. The eternal God is your dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. Romans 16, 26, Hebrews 9, 14, 2 Peter 3, 8, 1 Timothy 1, 17, all of these affirm the eternality of God. God possesses the whole of his existence in one indivisible present. Psalm 90, let's turn there. There is no future to God, there is no past to God. Everything is equally present to God. Um, he understands our experience of past, present, and future, but that's not past, present, and future for him. So Psalm 90, uh, it's a lament psalm again. It's a psalm of Moses. We have very few of these. This is, this is one of them. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Um, the structure, verses 1 and 2, is a hymnic address to God with confession of distress in verses 3 to 10 and a transition in 11 and 12. 11 concludes the lament section and it prepared, verse 12 prepares for the supplication in verses 13 and 17. So let's look at it here. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting you are God. Um, you return, return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are as but yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. 
Remember the hardest time in your life? Maybe you're in it right now. Do you remember the hardest time in your life and how long it took to get through it? Now you look back on it. Uh, basic training was one of the hardest times of my life. <laughs> um, I didn't do anything in basic training I hadn't done in Boy Scouts, except bayonet drill. That's the only thing <laughs> that we didn't do in Boy Scouts. Uh, camping was fun in Boy Scouts. It wasn't in the Army for some reason. I don't understand that altogether. But those eight weeks, I, I'd been married nine days when I reported for service. Those eight weeks just seemed interminable. Six more weeks and I'll, I'll be through, I'll be glad, and so will you. Am I right or wrong? You're right, we sang. Uh, I thought they would never end. And one day on KP, blessed KP, I was in the, uh, in the dining hall doing whatever it was I was doing at that time. Uh, and on the, on the, uh, the sound in the, in the mess hall, was a hundred miles, a hundred miles, a hundred miles, a hundred miles. I'm five hundred miles away from home, and my wife, and my mother, and my dog, and my... <laughs> I thought it would never end. Yes? Yes? Um, before this, <laughs> so... A thousand years in your sight are, as but, are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that's renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and it's renewed. And this is in a very dry climate when in the spring the rains have come and the, the grass just sprouts immediately. It just flourishes and then the... the, the uh, uh, desert wind blows in and dries everything out and the grass dry, uh, dies. So in the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. And this is Moses who's saying this. Remember, Moses is the man who was supposed to take them to Canaan. Yes? And instead of going immediately from Mount Sinai to Canaan, they marked time in the wilderness for 40, 39 years. We are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath, and we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? As, as you should be feared is the point. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice. And here we're in the petition section. Um, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we, we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. 
Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. That God is um, infinite and eternal. What, what is this category we're looking at here? Eternal. That God is infinite and eternal means he does not change. His promises do not fail. I may not live to see the, 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 the fulfillment of some of God's promises. But that doesn't mean the promises have failed. When you were 13, how long was it to Christmas? Forever. <laughs> and now, with a different perspective, yes? It's next week. Yeah, we ought to be thinking about it now. It's only it's it's already August. Good night. Uh, the um, the point I'm making is, folks, um, we are so tied up in time that we think if God doesn't show up on Tuesday, then there's something wrong with God. But God has a plan which is perfect. We haven't gotten even to the wisdom of God yet. Uh, when, we, when we get to the wisdom of God, I'm going to define it this way. He chooses the very best goals and the very best means to accomplish them. Is there anything else that's not that, that wisdom would be? Um, so if that's the case, his goals are always better than mine. Yes? Yes. And if his goals are always better than mine, when mine fail, that's not something to be passed on to God as a fault in him. But his plans have spanned 80 centuries, not 80, 40 centuries. I'll get it right in a minute. 2000 B.C. to 2080, 40 centuries. Are you with me? 40 centuries his plan has been working out. Yes? And there were long periods in those 40 centuries when we wondered, God's people wondered, where's God? Is that true? You can bet it was true in, in Egypt. You can bet it was true in Babylonian captivity. You can bet it was true. Do you know why 1492 is important to Jews? Um, it's because that was when Ferdinand and Isabella uh, demanded the, that all Jews leave their, their kingdom. And so they cast them out of the kingdom, and they went to, some of them went to the Arabic-speaking countries, others went to Eastern Europe, what we call Eastern Europe. Um, in 1492... If you were a Jew, you'd be wondering, where is God? Yes? Yes? When the Nazis started showing up, and all the pogroms during the Middle Ages, holy cow, you think about all that. Where is God? Yes? But God has a plan that is bigger than any one lifetime. And if I don't live to see the fulfillment of the plan of God, it's not because God has failed. It's because I have created God in my own image and I've tried to make him a God who works on my schedule. 
I, I don't have enough to do to worry about a, a really detailed calendar. So I have one-hour segments to my, my, my responsibilities. And I always have. I've never had that tight a schedule for anything. So uh, some of you are, are so busy in whatever your work is that you have to have 15-minute uh, segments to your, to your day timer or whatever you use now. The, the point I'm making is that neither one of those ways of counting the days is relevant to God and his plan. Uh, centuries are too short for his work. Um, the greatest architectural achievements of the human race were not put up in a matter of weeks. The greatest paintings, the greatest novels, the greatest works of art in history were never put together in 20 minutes. Am I making sense to you? Um, why should... I disagree. I know. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's Howard, so I don't worry about it. <laughs> they, they, uh, so if God is an artist, and, and he is, if he is an artist, he's making, he's making a masterpiece, which when we finally come to the point where we can see it, we'll, our breath will be taken away from us. Um, so, um, God's immutability. Immutability is that perfection of God by which he is devoid of all change, not only in his being, but also in his perfections and in his purposes and promises. By virtue of this attribute, God is exalted above all becoming and is free from all accession and diminution. He's not getting bigger or better. He's not getting less and worse. He simply is immutable. Immutability belongs to the divine essence. God can have no new attributes. It belongs also to the divine will. His decrees are unalterable. Um, his consciousness is immutable. God is immutable because, A, his being is from himself and not from another. And B, he cannot change for the better or for the worse. And C, all causes and reasons for change are wanting, namely dependence upon another, error of mind, inconstancy of will or purpose. God's not going to change his mind. If you change your mind, what does that mean? Why would you change your mind? You, you, you saw that what you were planning to do wasn't a good, wasn't as good a thing to do as as you planned, and so when so yeah, new information. When my dad said it was time to mow the lawn, I always changed my mind and decided it was time to mow the lawn. I thought it was time to go out and play baseball, but he thought it was time to mow the lawn. Um, God's person is immutable. I the Malachi three six. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O house of Israel, are not destroyed. This is Malachi, the last of the prophets. Yes? There's always a remnant. There's always a remnant. 
So God has not changed. This is why I believe in a future for Israel as Israel, not as, as a part of the church. Because God made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And to Moses, and to David, and to others. And he must keep those promises, or he has changed. And if God doesn't change, then he has to keep his promises. Um, Psalm 102, 26, I don't recall at all. Psalm 102, 26. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same. Your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Folks, the reason you can dwell secure even in hard times and dangerous times and fright-filled times is because your God does not change. The God who raised Jesus from the dead is your God. So, so what is to fear in dying? The process, yes, but not the fact of losing life. Uh, so if our God does not change, then the God that we knew who spoke and light came into existence is the same God today. Uh, so James 1.17, that's a great verse, and I can't quote it now. Um, there was a time when I had James 1 memorized, but that was many years ago. Um, James 1.17. Um, every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom, Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Um, the will of God is immutable. We're going to have, we got a problem coming up that this category is going to create problems for us. We've got a passage where we have to talk about it. God is said to repent in Scripture. Okay? So, did he do something wrong and needed to repent? Uh, but, but these verses, Psalm 33, 11, oh dear. Psalm 33 is one of my favorite psalms. Uh, psalm 110, 4. Um, let's, let's go on here. What, what are we to make of this God repenting? Uh, this, this means no change in his attributes and character but only in his matter of manner of treating men. Folks, God can change what he does. He can't change his character. So there was a time he created, yes? Then he ceased creating, yes? So? There, there was a time he was sad about his creation. Yeah. There was a time he sent a flood, and there was a time he removed a flood. Yes? So... Pardon? He again. And he recreated it again. The point is that God can change what he does, but the reasons, that is the character from which his actions flow, remain the same. Uh, repentance of God is not a change of will, but a will to change. 
His actions, and I would add that here to this statement, if God had treated the Ninevites after their repentance as he had threatened to treat them before their repentance, this would have proved him to be mutable. It would have shown him to be at one time displeased with impenitence and at another time displeased with penitence. God would have changed. That he did not destroy Nineveh was an aspect of his unchangeability. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so First Samuel 15 is, is, is one of the passages that we have trouble. God says in verse 11, I regret that I have made Saul king for he, for he has turned his back uh, from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and cried to the Lord all night. I regret, God regrets something. Uh, in verse, uh, uh, this word in Hebrew is Nahem. The explanation seems to be that God does not capriciously change his intentions or ways of actions. It is the change in Saul's behavior that leads to this expression of regret. What I would propose here, and the, the, the lexicons don't go this way, uh, but, but there are places where this word can be used for grieving. It grieves me that I made God, uh, Saul king over Israel. But there are some basic ideas you need to have with reference to that. Um, why did God give Israel a king in the first place? They asked for a king. Why? Because they wanted to be like the other nations. No, yes, and no. <laughs> they wanted someone who would fight their battles for them. Well, didn't God do that? So why would a human king be better than a divine king? He had meat on him, yeah. But a divine king doesn't have to doesn't have to bring victory. A human king does. If the people are wicked, the human king still has to fight for victory because he loses his place if he if he doesn't win. A divine king loses nothing if the people lose. Yes? Are you with me here? So the reason was we can't count on God for victory. Therefore, we want a king that we can count on for victory. He'll give everything to, give, to get victory. We don't like the way God rules. We like the way a man rules. So he is grieved that he made king, Saul king over Israel. Then it says, and also the glory of Israel, and this is Samuel speaking, the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Well, which is it? Does God repent or not repent? It's the Hebrew word that's translated repent as well. So which is it? Does he do that or not? And then finally, in verse 35, the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. This is a function of Hebrew literature. It's a basic function of Hebrew literature. Um, it's, words have multiple senses. You're aware of that. Yes? Words have multiple senses. And Hebrew literature often plays on the, varied, the various senses of a word. So when we say he regretted that he made Saul, he's grieved. He's grieved that he had to do it because of Israel's recalcitrance. They're ultimately tra treason, their treasonous attitude toward him. 
But then Saul lived up to his billing. And then we read, the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret. God doesn't change his mind. So the sense here of have regret, I'm sorry that the ESV translated it this way. I wish they had done something more here, but perhaps they left it for the teachers. <laughs> so I still have a job. Uh, the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind. His plan does not change. And then finally, he still is grieved that he made Saul king over Israel. God experiences joy and grief, which is amazing to me. I can't, I can't quite get over that. But it appears to be the case. So what we must do is come to understand who God is and what he's doing. Yes? One of the things... I struggle with as a believer in Jesus Christ, and I know my salvation is secure in Him. But I do things that I know God regrets I do. Them. Yeah. And I, I don't know if any of you ever have the thought: Does God ever regret saving Howard? The answer is no. Um. Like he did Saul, making Saul king. Psalm 103, he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. If he saves dust, can you be, can you be angry at saving dust and find out it's dirty? Thank you. So let's close with prayer. Father, you are more than we had ever dreamed and more than we can even conceive. But you've given us your word to understand you, to, to know what is necessary for us to know, to be able to live a life of faith, to trust you, to walk in your ways. So, Father, help our weakness. I'm so thankful you understand how weak we are. And some of this discussion is just overwhelming. But... Would you bring it back to us in times when we need it desperately? Bring back to us your character <clears throat> so that we remember that you are good beyond all expectation, beyond all our best dreams. The problem is, Father, that we've been looking for good in all the wrong places. So teach us to look for the good that you have defined as good, to embrace that and to count that our joy for the rest of our days. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. You have been listening to Attributes of God with Dr. Jim Allman. If you're new to Central Church, you can check us out at centralchurch.com. You can get more information about our ministries and our classes. We hope to see you back.